Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's Trump's last day in office. It doesn't get better than that, right? I just wanted to highlight for you a piece that I published over at TomHartman.Medium.com. It's titled, The Big Lie and Truth Are in an Epic Battle for the Soul of America. I keep pointing this out. You know, there was a good piece in the Washington Post that was at a certain level echoing my sentiment, but not quite as clearly. And that is that as long as there are Americans who believe that the election was stolen from Donald Trump, that Joe Biden and the Democrats somehow stole this election, as long as there are Americans who believe that, we're going to have an ongoing political crisis. And right now, over two-thirds of Republicans, this is from a Fox poll done just a few days ago, over two-thirds of Americans believe that the election was stolen from Trump, that there was something wrong with that election. And, of course, Trump's specific charge, and Giuliani and all these guys, is that it was black people in predominantly black cities, in Milwaukee, in Wisconsin, in Detroit, in Michigan, in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania. It was black people in Atlanta and in Georgia. It was black people in these towns that somehow stole the election. Well, if you call showing up to vote in unprecedented numbers or insubstantial numbers, stealing an election may be, but that's not the voter fraud that these guys are specifically talking about. They're arguing that people are voting twice, that people who shouldn't vote are voting, people who are felons in states where it's outlawed, or people who are here without authorization, you know, unauthorized residents of the United States. I want to stop calling them illegal. It's just an awful term, and it really does have to do with authorization. So, I mean, if you look at the spectrum of kind of right-wing crazy, at the far end is stuff like this post that was screen-capped and grabbed and, and retweeted, I believe, off Parler, that says, I'll just read it to you. This is the far end of right-wing crazy, okay? Just the, the extreme far end. It says, Joe Biden has been arrested. The deep state 
is in disarray and they've struck a deal with the Trump administration. There will be an experimental surgery that will exchange the faces of Biden and Trump. So when you watch Biden's inauguration, you will really be watching Trump being sworn in for a second term. And when you are watching the Trump trials, that is really Biden paying for his crimes. Also, when Trump, as Biden, stammers or slurs his words, that be, that's because Trump is still learning to duplicate Biden's speech patterns, because now he's wearing Biden's face. Okay, so that's, that's the extreme end of crazy. And then you've got you know, all the stuff in between about all the various conspiracy theories and the Fed and the Bilderbergers and you know, the Jews run the world and all this kind of crazy stuff that's kind of in the middle. But then, you know, kind of right up against reality, you've got the people who are believing, and this is why I, I wrote this piece, The Big Lie and the Truth are in an epic battle for the soul of America over at uh, tomhartman.medium.com. You've got people who are believing that the election was stolen, not because they're following some fringe conspiracy theory, not because even necessarily they read about it in some toxic Facebook group, but because the President of the United States told them so. Now, up until the last four years, we have all, whether you're 16 years old or whether you're 66 years old, we have all been taught to believe what the President of the United States says. Now, it hasn't always worked out. We've been lied to. Lyndon Johnson lied us into the war in Vietnam. George W. Bush lied us into the war in Iraq. McKinley lied us into the Spanish-American War. I mean, it, it has happened over and over again. There are some who are uh, still a little upset about the Korean War, and Harry Truman for that matter. But on balance, generally speaking, we've been taught to believe our presidents. And so when the President of the United States says something is true, there are a good chunk of people, a good number of people who are going to say, okay, that's true. That's not all of it. The president says it, and then Fox News says it, and if that's the only television network you go to for news, that's all you're hearing all the time. The election was stolen. There's something hanky going on. And then you turn to your politicians, the people that you voted for, for years and years and years. You've sent this, this man or woman off to the senator, to the House of Representatives over and over again, and you listen to them, and you're on their e email list, and, or maybe their physical mailing list. And they're telling you, if you live in a Republican district, they're telling you that the election was stolen. Bottom line here. Until the American media comes out and says explicitly, not only was there no voter fraud, except for that one guy in Georgia who got busted voting in the name of his dead mother for Donald Trump, Outside of that one guy that they, you know, that they were able to find, there was no voter fraud in the 2020 election. But on top of that, there never has been voter fraud in the United States. Voter fraud has been an excuse that goes back to Jim Crow. It goes back to before Reconstruction. It goes back to the post-Civil War era. Voter fraud was the means that was used to prevent black people from voting. Let's just say it bluntly. And voter fraud is still the meme, the story, the myth, the lie that is being used to prevent black people from voting. 
It's still going on. And until the media comes out and says explicitly, not only A, Joe Biden actually won the election by 7 million votes, but B, and voter fraud is a lie. Until the media comes out and says that, and I mean right across the board, the article, the op-ed that I mentioned in today's Washington Post says the media has to be more aggressive in saying that the election wasn't stolen because so many of these people, I mean, listen to the video, you know, watching it on CNN and MSNBC over the weekend, the video that's coming out now of the guys as they were breaking into the Senate and they were saying, well, yeah, Ted Cruz would want us here. And, you know, the one guy, he goes up to sit in Mike Pence's seat and another guy, you know, another one of these uh, insurrectionists says, uh, oh, don't sit up there. That's a sacred space. And the guy says, well, they stole an election from us. Can't we sit in their chair? And the guy says, yeah, they stole the election, but you still can't sit in the chair. These people all believe the election was stolen and they were reclaiming it, or at least the vast majority of them. And they believed it because the excuse that Trump used was voter fraud. And they have been indoctrinated for 40 years by a Republican Party that uses this lie of voter fraud to make it harder and harder and harder for people to vote, specifically to disenfranchise black people, Hispanic people, young people, Asian people, old people, Social Security voters, students, all these constituencies that tend to vote for the Democratic Party. And we've got to wake people up to the fact that there is, for all practical purposes, no voter fraud in the United States. They looked at over a billion ballots and they found 31 cases of people who voted. And most of them were felons who didn't realize they couldn't vote in the states that they voted in. You can help America return to democracy by telling friends and family how to listen to this and other great progressive programs. Tag, you're it. Liz in Seattle. Hey, Liz, what's on your mind today? Hi, thank you for taking my call. I'm curious about something. I've been listening to the news for the last week, and President Trump, this is my curiosity, President Trump is the commander-in-chief of the National Guard troops. And the federal mission statement for the National Guard troops is to provide properly trained and equipped units for prompt mobilization for war, national emergency, or, and this is what concerns me, as otherwise needed. Now, what's in place to prevent Trump from using the National Guard troops for his benefit to block President-elect Biden from taking oath of office? And also, I'm curious that Vice President Pence will be attending the inauguration and Kamala Harris and President-elect Biden, but Trump is not going to be around. But here we have, I think the estimate was 25,000 troops in place. And what's to prevent President Trump from otherwise as needed using those troops for his benefit? There is a provision in military law and in the Uniform Code of Military Justice that that was well established after the Nuremberg trials or amplified after the Nuremberg trials that you are under no obligation to follow an illegal order. 
and in fact you are entirely justified in defying an illegal order in the military. So my guess is, Liz, if Donald Trump were to try to order those 25,000 troops to say, you know, we're going to install me as president now or something like that, although I think that horse has left the barn long ago, but nonetheless, if he were to try to do that sort of thing, I think his order would simply be defied. I'm not real concerned about that. What I'm concerned about are the people, I mean, for example, right now, the Washington Post is pointing out, and there's a link, actually several news sources are pointing out, there's a link to this in this article that I just published over on medium.com, that the FBI is going through all 25,000 National Guard troops, social medias and background profiles, looking for troops who may have loyalty to Trump and the conspiracy theory, the various conspiracy theories uh, that support him so that they can weed them out because these soldiers are going to be carrying live ammunition and they're very concerned about that. So clearly there's a concern and I think frankly it's a legitimate concern, but it's a concern based on these people believing that Democrats who drink children's blood and hold satanic rituals are going to try and steal the election from the duly elected president, Donald Trump, when in fact he was not duly elected. And in fact, he was duly beaten you know, by 7 million votes. But they're still believing this. So that's my response, Liz. And I would be astonished if anything like that were to happen. That would be a military coup. That would be like what we saw happen in Egypt. And I'm just not expecting that at all. We have a new uh, video up over at TomHartman.com about conspiracy theories. Abby Richards came up with a uh, kind of a hierarchy of conspiracies, uh, maybe a variation on the old Maslow hierarchy. And it goes from actual conspiracies to maybe this was a conspiracy, maybe not. We have questions to this is kind of crazy stuff, but mm, who knows, you know, flying saucers, for example, to actual science denial, conspiracy theories that actually serve to promote the interests of a particular industry or wealthy individuals, to the totally crazy stuff, the flat earth, the reptilian overlords, and all that kind of thing, conspiracy theories that can do tremendous damage. One of those being one of the conspiracy theories that brought two Republicans in the Congress this year. So anyhow, I lay the whole thing out with a new video over at TomHartman.com. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. This is remarkable. You know, the FBI has been vetting these 25,000 National Guard troops who have been brought into Washington, D.C. because they are going to be armed. They are going to be carrying automatic weapons, fully automatic weapons, things that the military can carry but you can't buy. And I mean, it's kind of that's where the borderline is, right? Between semi-automatic and automatic. With semi-automatic, you can still fire, you know, 40 rounds in a minute, but fully automatic, even faster. But anyhow, they have now identified two National Guard troops who belong to these far-right militia organizations that they now consider threats to national security. And of course, the concern is that you know, it doesn't take. If, if you've got a troop, a member of the military who's willing to turn their gun on the new president, on Biden or on Harris or anybody, or just disrupt things, you don't need infiltration by some protester who comes in or you know something like that. They've identified two guys now that they've pulled out of the security mission 
This is from the Associated Press. Two U.S. Army National Guard members are being removed from the security mission to secure Joe Biden's presidential inauguration. A U.S. Army official and a senior U.S. intelligence official say the two Guard members have been found to have ties to fringe right group militias. This isn't, you know, a specific plot against Biden or anything like that, but rather distressing. But anyhow, uh, you know, as I mentioned, your phone calls and Scott in Miami, it says here you disagree with me. So you go to the front of the line. What's up? Good afternoon, Mr. Hartman. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, today I find it's a sad day when I reflect on President Trump's administration. President Trump has been tortured mercilessly since day one. No other president of the United States, Mr. Hartman, has been as hated and as maligned and as persecuted as President Trump. There's a list of villains here that have that, gone on. Scott, that could be because no other president of the United States has been as corrupt and criminal and, frankly, gross. I don't recall any president of the United States having over 20 women accusing him of rape. Do you? I mean, we got a rapist uh, in the White House right now. Well, let me just... I don't recall any other president of the United States having been convicted of fraud and his children having to take a class as a result of that conviction, in addition to paying huge fines, for running a phony charity and taking the money and putting it in their own pocket. Do you remember any president who ever did that? There have been presidents that have had problems with the law. We all know Richard Nixon, what happened to him. They said that President Harding, uh, just an example, he had an affair with Nan Britton. Thomas Jefferson had an illegitimate child with Sally Hemings. President I'm not talking about illegitimate children or affairs. Bill Clinton had one of those too, and he got impeached over it. I'm talking about rape. You have a rapist in the White House, and it sounds to me, Scott, like you're calling to defend him. I'm baffled. Under American law, a man is innocent until proven guilty. Until this tangible, also they claim that there was a woman who was raped by Joe Biden. So uh, that hangs over Biden's head as well. Until the man is... There are no charges against Joe Biden that I know of. Anybody can say anything, but when somebody brings it to court, right now you've got a woman who is... Actually, you've got over 20 women who are actually suing Donald Trump, begging this to come into the courts. And E. Jean Carroll actually has a dress with Donald Trump's semen on it from when he raped her, and he's refusing to supply a DNA sample. <laughs> and that's just the rape part. I'm frankly even more grossed out by the way that he's corrupted our country and he's held up authoritarianism as if it were the American way. When it's not, this country was founded on a rejection of authoritarianism. All I know is this what what, Scott, what possibly causes you to want to defend this man? I'll tell you why. Because since day one, as I was saying, this man has been persecuted ruthlessly. Russian collusion is a hoax. It's a phony thing. We know that. And they use this to... Actually, it's not a hoax. His son came out and said, yeah, you know, I had a meeting with them. You know, we, he was trying to get dirt on Hillary Clinton from them. He said that in public. That's colluding with a foreign power. You know, the Mueller report also documents 10. Actually, if Trump wasn't president, he could be put in prison for every one of those 10 points where they said, here are 10 examples of when Donald Trump himself tried to obstruct justice, tried to impede this investigation, or succeeded in obstructing justice, succeeded in impeding this, this investigation. I mean, you know, there's no hoax there. Donald Trump and his, and his criminal family were reaching out to Russia, asking them to get dirt on Hillary Clinton. He did it publicly in a speech, for God's sake, Scott. Let me ask you a question. If you've got the New York Times, owned by the Salzberger family, Michael Bloomberg, 
Oh my God, Scott. I'm sorry, I, I cut Scott off, which is something I rarely do with conservatives. I love having conversations with conservatives, but when you go to anti-Semitism and start, you know, doing your rant about the Jewish conspiracy and all this kind of stuff, you've just stepped over a line that I, I just will not allow on this program. That Five million people died. My father joined the army to fight against Hitler, who had killed five million people with that very conspiracy. That was the big lie that brought Hitler to power in 1933 and that started, I mean, you know, this was the big lie that Hitler laid out in 1924 in a beer hall in Munich when he invited all his friends to come and, and he got up on a table and fired a gun into the ceiling, which got everybody real quiet. And then he gave an hour-long speech about how Germany hadn't actually lost World War I, that they were on the verge of victory. Now, Hitler was a soldier in World War I. In fact, he was gassed and injured and ended up in the hospital as a result of it. So he had some authority to speak, or at least that's what people thought. And Hitler said, you know, we were ready to win the war. We were very close to winning the war. We almost conquered all of Europe, but... We were sold out. We were stabbed in the back by Jews and communists. Actually, the word he used was socialists. Jews and socialists stabbed Germany in the back. That was Hitler's sales pitch in 1924. And as he stood on that table in that beer hall, yelling about the Jews and the Jewish conspiracy, he got the mob all cranked up, and they left the beer hall, and they marched down to the seat of Bavarian government, basically the state capital there in Munich and tried to seize the Capitol building and seize the state of Bavaria. Exactly what happened on June 6th, uh, January 6th, right here in the United States. They were unsuccessful. The police and the, and the Bavarian army stopped them. Adolf Hitler was arrested. He went to Lansdow, I believe it was called, prison. He was sentenced for two years. I think he served about a year. But he continued to promote this conspiracy theory that it was the Jews and the socialists who went in and negotiated the deal on behalf of Germany to surrender. When in fact, Germany was winning the war. That was his big lie. Just like Trump has his big lie now that an election was stolen from him by voter fraud by black people in majority black cities like Milwaukee and Detroit and and Philadelphia and, uh, you know, whatnot. And That big lie of Hitler's led directly to the death of 5 million people, or 6 million people, 6 million Jews. Arguably the death of, I believe it was about 40 million people in total who died in World War II. Maybe it was 20. I'm sorry, I don't recall, you know, all those statistics. So when people call into this program and start promoting Hitler's old big lie, I just have to draw the line. I just have to cut them off. I'm sorry. Anyway, Cheryl in Minneapolis. Hey, Cheryl. Yeah, hi, Tom. Yes, sadly, my sister-in-law's mother died of COVID. And my sister-in-law is a very right-wing faction of the family. And this was around in June when President Trump was touting the miracle drug hydroxychloroquine. Well, they gave this to my right. her elderly. Granted, she was elderly. She died pretty much within a half hour after taking that drug. And this is a woman Whoa. whose face is in the Bible two hours a day. And the other, the rest of the day, it's on right-wing conspiracy hate websites. And 
Oh, that's so sad. I, I, it just baffles me how someone can be so-called religious and read the same scripture I read and come up with a different conclusion. <laughs> Amazing. Well, it's because they're being lied to, just like our earlier caller, you know, but, you know, buying into these conspiracy theories. They're being lied to by people who have a financial or power interest in their believing those lies. Cheryl, I'm so sorry to hear about your mother-in-law, but thank you for the call and sharing your story with us. I appreciate it. We'll be back with more of your calls in just a moment. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And I would add, if you're going to call and try and defend Donald Trump and the only and your best argument is, oh, my God, the Jews don't even bother. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's, or enter the code Hartman the two ends before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. We're reading today in the Tom Hartman Book Club from my old friend Armin Lehman's book, The Late Armin Lehman. The book is titled In Hitler's Bunker, A Boy Soldier's Eyewitness Account of the Fuhrer's Last Days. My friend Armin was the 16-year-old who gave the bad news to Hitler, and then he watched as Hitler walked into the room and committed suicide. It opens with an introduction from Arthur Axman, the leader of the Hitler Youth, in April of 45. There's only victory or annihilation. Know no bounds in your hatred of the enemy. It is your duty to watch when others tire, to stand when others weaken. Your greatest honor is your unshakable fidelity to Adolf Hitler. It was with words such as these that the Third Reich's Hitler youth leader, Arthur Axman, exhorted 10-year-old boys and girls being sworn into the Hitler youth in Berlin on the eve of Adolf Hitler's last birthday. The children were being inducted into the junior echelons of the movement, the Jungvolk, the young folk, and the Jungmadl, the young maidens. I was looking on, then age 16, 
a member of the Hitler Youth Volkssturm, literally People's Storm. The Volkssturm was the home defense force of old men and young boys hastily assembled in the dying days of the war. Every able-bodied male between the ages of 16 and 55 was ordered to put on whatever uniform he could find, anything from postman's uniforms to firefighter's uniforms, and fight for the fatherland. The Russians called us totals because we were the result of total war. The Wehrmacht called us stew because we were a mixture of old meat and green vegetables. However, I had recently distinguished myself in battle and had even been awarded the Iron Cross second class. The Hitler youth leader, Arthur Axman, at 32, was the youngest of the senior Nazis around Hitler, but his influence within Hitler's inner circle was growing daily toward the end of the war as he pledged that the Hitler youth movement would fight to the death for the Fuhrer and the fatherland. In Hitler's last days, Axman was one of only a handful of Nazis, including Hitler's private secretary, Martin Bormann, and the cynical propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, who enjoyed the Fuhrer's absolute trust and confidence. Axman had personally selected me to present to Hitler on the occasion of his 56th birthday at a ceremony in the Reich Chancellery in Berlin, partly because of my recent distinction in fighting the Russians, but partly, I suspect, because my role in the Hitler Youth Unit was as a courier, a melder. Hitler had won his Iron Cross as a courier in the First World War. I think that Axman saw that as a lucky sign of some sort. At that moment, our Fuhrer could do with every bit of luck he could get. As I watched Axman, I did not realize it, but victory for the Allies was no longer in doubt. Germany was being overrun from every direction. City after city was being turned into ash under a ferocious Allied bombing campaign, unprecedented in its intensity. I, along with several hundred other teenage soldiers of the Hitler Youth Volkssturm, was among the last who would serve Hitler's regime in Berlin, in the much vaulted Zitadel, Citadel of the Fuhrer's last redoubt in the dying days of the war. I didn't know it at the time, but I would soon be serving as a courier in his bunker beneath the chancellery. It was an experience that would bring me into contact with some of the most notorious Nazis of the time, as well as some of the most decent soldiers and civilians struggling to cope with the death wish Hitler had imposed upon all Germans. Facing total defeat, the Fuhrer was now willing to sacrifice everything and everybody, including even the youngest and most innocent of German lives. It wasn't just males, either. The Bund Deutscher Model, the German Girls' Legion, or BDM, was the female section of the Hitler Youth. They, too, sacrificed their lives for the Fuhrer. I did not realize at the time that Germany faced total defeat. I still believed in the myth of our, quote, miracle weapons that was widely circulated before the end of the war. I had no comprehension of the sheer evil that was at the heart of the Nazi regime. Yet I was prepared to lay down my life for Hitler in defense of the fatherland and the noble ideals of the National Socialist Movement. I was elated at the prospect of greeting Hitler the following morning on his 56th and last birthday. To comprehend why anybody can have been so thoroughly taken in by such a deception, one must understand a little about my background. I was four years old when Adolf Hitler became Reich Chancellor of a coalition cabinet in Germany. It was 30 January 1933. Later that historic date became known as Die Machtgefrung, the seizure of might. Absolute power, as Hitler has taught us, often brings about primal chaos. But in Hitler's case, it went beyond that. His absolute control over the minds of countless individuals created a living hell that destroyed the lives of millions of people in a human catastrophe too enormous to comprehend. In Hitler's Bunker. And welcome back. Donald in Menlo Park, California. Hey, Donald, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. The philosopher scientists of our time said that 
lying is the worst thing next to murder. And with Trump, we see a good example of how dangerous lying can be in terms of getting people to believe a lie and what they act out from that belief. He also points out that the whole game of consciousness is consciousness evolving to an enlightened awareness of its, of ourselves and that we will discover that humanity is one body, one spirit, and one social organism. The idea of feeling superior is an aspect of the low ego, which he points out actually someone that feels superior internally feels inferior. So with a clarification or understanding of who we are as human beings, we'll discover a higher awareness, that idea of superior or hating someone else is not in our DNA. That's an aspect of the low ego. I hope. So what do you what do you do with these this set of presuppositions therefore what? Well, you know, in a way we've got we can actually thank Donald Trump for his big lie because it has brought all the crazies out of the woodwork and we can see where we are in this country particularly because that's where this particular problem is happening now but we can see that he's given us an idea of the percentage of crazies that are around and i think he's also created quite a few donald that's that's well, the, that's the thing that um, troubles me. There's a whole generation he, growing up, you know, kids who came of age as Donald Trump became president or as he was running in the primary, you know, 16, 17 year olds who are listening to this kind of political rhetoric and hate speech and thinking, oh, that's what national politics is all about. They're now in their 20s and they may hold these values for the rest of their lives. Well, you know, really what he's done is just taken the playbook from Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler did the same thing. And yep. it's nothing new. The idea of the, the QAnon goes way, 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 way back, even before the Nazis, when they used to blame or used to accuse the Jews of drinking the blood of babies. So really, it's a matter of clarifying our consciousness and really education. Education is the key to freeing ourselves of theories upon theories that don't match reality. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Donald, thank you for the call. And welcome back. On the line with us is our old buddy, Justin Frank, Dr. Justin A. Frank, MD, the psychoanalyst and clinical professor at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at George Washington University, the author of Trump on the Couch, his previous books, Obama on the Couch and Bush on the Couch. Justin Frank, MD, is his Twitter handle. And uh, Dr. Frank, welcome back. It's nice to have you again. I I wanted to ask about mob psychology. I wanted to get into uh, where Donald Trump's head might be at at 
this particular moment. But I wanted to start by asking you a question that one of your biggest fans, Veronique Raskin, who owns the Organic Wine Company out in California, she's an old friend of mine, and she sent me a note this morning, and, and she said, I'm still processing my feelings over friends supporting Trump even after January 6th. How do, how do we manage these important relationships going forward? I'm sure she's not the only one asking this question. Well, first of all, the fact that so many people voted for Trump, millions and millions. So my thought is, first of all, that there's some phenomenon called in large groups and mobs. You asked about mob psychology in large groups. There's a thing called a large group narcissism. And by narcissism, it has to do with what they value about themselves. And what Trump has tapped into is a group of people who have had terrible narcissistic, shall we say, losses. I would even call them catastrophic losses. And that he has been able to tap into those feelings of loss and hurt and rage and galvanize them into something very positive. Belief in themselves, belief in him, belief in the fact that they can change America by breaking norms down, and belief that they are the ones who are good. And that the people in the Beltway and the people in power are not good, are actually evil. So there's this huge split. I'm not going directly to Veronique's question, but I'm going to get there because it's really a hard thing to just sort of jump into. And that is that the greatest contribution some people say that Freud ever made was actually almost a religious one, which is that we all have forces inside of us that are both good and bad, and that we have internal conflicts between those two forces, that they are mostly unconscious. And so that's actually, I mean, he could be quoting Isaiah, you know, who said that as the Lord, I create peace and I create war or I create evil. I forgot all the things that he created, but basically the Lord created both. So what happens is that when you're little and a baby, you have these two conflicts, and sometimes they're so anxiety-provoking and painful that you want to get rid of them, one of them. So you end up being on the side of the good, and you project the bad into people around you, usually into frightening groups, organizations. Maybe even you can split your parents, have a good mommy and a bad daddy, or even a good mommy and a bad mom. And so you project and get rid of. And then these people have been very injured. And I think Trump was injured in his own family life. I don't have any empathy or sympathy for him because he is very cruel and destructive. But what happens when you have a catastrophic loss is you begin to have a perverse attachment to denying that loss, denying mourning, not feeling sad about what you've lost, but in fact feeling good that you're not like that, feeling good. So the problem is that a lot of people really do believe in what Trump stands for, which is breaking down something that's bad so they can feel good. And I think that that's a serious problem because it's a way of avoiding inner conflict. And the hard thing is for us is that probably very few of the people who voted for Biden spend time watching Fox News. But Fox News does tap into that side of things. 
and they do a different kind of splitting of the world into good and bad. And so they externalize the bad and turn it into socialism, into democratic dictatorship, into massive taxation, into all kinds of bad things. And that's what these people are fighting against. So how do we reconcile with our friends? Just just agree not to discuss politics with them? No, I think we have to discuss politics, but we have to agree in the beginning that we don't agree. And we have to be open Mm -hmm. to the fact that our friendship transcends our beliefs. And that we have to have a basis of conversation based either on familial ties, but based on mutual respect and affection, and that there are there's friendship, and that that's very important, and that it's very troubling to see his friend as a bad person, and it must be troubling for them to see me as a bad person. So we have to right. find some way of starting to talk about it, and that would be it's like aligning yourself with the cystic injury, that I've been hurt that my friend doesn't like me, and my friend's been hurt that I don't like them. And we have to share our hurt feelings and build from there. It makes perfect sense. I've seen a number of websites that have been recently speculating that Donald Trump is experiencing some sort of nervous breakdown or mental breakdown. You know, he's been through pretty bad stuff before. He's been through six bankruptcies. He's been through two divorces. Do you think that he's stressed in a way that might be dangerous to the world or himself? No. I think he's dangerous to the world, period, because he's always been dangerous. But I don't think that it's because he's stressed right now. I mean, he might be have an increased uh, amount of cruelty and destructiveness, but he's always been destructive. And one of the things that happens when you split good and bad is that you end up becoming very much on the side of one or the other, and you end up feeling triumphant over the good, and you turn the good in a perverse way into something bad. So what Trump has done from the beginning of his presidency is he's turned tradition and American goodness, like belief in the, in the press, trust in certain things, he's turned those things into bad, into evil. And he has really done that very successfully. So I think um, he reminds me of uh, the way Milton wrote about Satan, not that Trump is the devil, but there is something about that, whereas Satan said, uh, by my mind, I can create a heaven out of hell and a hell out of heaven. So when Trump is leaving heaven, namely the White House, namely a great place, he is, and he's leaving, he's unable to mourn loss, unable to recognize the fact that he had loss, which is that he lost the election. He cannot acknowledge that because it would be too painful for him. So he has to triumph over it by denying the goodness of the person to whom he lost. So he's going to leave with a 21-gun salute. He's going to leave celebrating his trip out of heaven. He's going to celebrate that he's leaving a bad place instead of the place he wanted to be in. Remarkable. Makes perfect sense. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We're talking with Dr. Justin Frank, 
author of Trump on the Couch. You can tweet him at Justin Frank MD. We'll be right back. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. On Science Revolution this week, will AI robots destroy the human race? And why does AI intelligence bond more with the far right? John Noel from Greenpeace USA is here on how he thinks big oil and gas funded the attempted coup on January 6th. Latricia Adams of Black Millennials for Flint drops by saying, finally, charges on the Flint water crisis. It's been more than six years since the Flint water crisis began when the children of Flint were poisoned by lead and by their governor. Plus, in our geeky science, there's a new study out, and guess what? Eating chili peppers could add years to your life and could cut your risk of cancer and heart disease. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. So, Dr. Frank, I'm curious over the short term, how do you wean people off Trump's psychological manipulation? How do you help people wake up from the Trump cult? Well, the hardest thing to do is to ally yourself with why it's so important for them to have that cult. You cannot wean somebody until you know about what the good is. Because if you start trying to just say their cult is bad, you're not going to be able to wean them. Because to them it's not bad, it's good. So we have to find some way of both being good. It's almost psychologically to find a way to sit side by side your cult friends as opposed to opposite them. So you can have a conversation like they would do in some kind of place where there'd be a bubble from a conversation that would fly up into the air and both of you would be looking at the same conversation together, sitting side by side, talking about what you share and what worries you and what frightens you and why. I don't see any other way of doing this. And I do think, and I do know, that the people who study weaning people out of cults, and there have been lots of books and papers written about it in the, for the general public and in psychoanalytic circles and in many places, how hard it is and how long it takes. 
there was a guy, and I can't remember his name, I wish I could right now, I, I can let you know later, uh, who wrote a book about having been in a cult. And he then analyzed it psychologically, and it was published in around 2013. I can find out who, his na- who he was, but basically mm-hmm. it took a long time. I'm guessing that the worst way to do it is to start out by saying, you know, Donald Trump is evil or crazy or stupid or something like that. Absolutely. That's the worst thing. If Donald Trump were on my hospital as a patient and I was examining, uh, interviewing him in front of other people, that would be very different. Then I would say, I'm very curious, Mr. Trump, what is it like to be a con artist? How does it feel? Hmm. But even that, I would be asking him something. <clears throat> but I think that starting out by talking about how evil and bad Trump is, and I've done that with my friends, and it's impossible. I can't have a relationship with them because I'm saying that to me, what's bad is to them what's good. And that's what it's almost like expressing different really value good. systems. Yeah, it's about a split. Uh, Dr. Frank, I think probably most of us have had this experience in our lives. I've had it with uh, hornets when I was a kid growing up in Michigan and with uh, fire ants when when we lived down in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, which is that uh, these uh, insects that just kind of seemingly are just buzzing around or walking around, no big deal, um, are provoked in some way, and suddenly they become something completely different. They, they, they become a, a, a well, I think it's referred to as a swarm with insects. Um, but we see the same thing with human beings forming mobs, you know, and, 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 and doing things as mobs that I doubt any individual would do, you know, uh, the, the old lynch mobs, for example. Um, how does that happen? What, what, is the, what is the switch that flips this on for us? And, and where is this buried deep within us, this ability to become murderous? I, I think war is probably another uh, demonstration of this. Well, I did say in the beginning of our discussion today that we are, what makes us human is that we have good and bad parts of ourselves. And we need to, uh, because they cause painful conflict sometimes, we want to get rid of the bad and we project it. We unconsciously bury it and put it outward into others, into people maybe of a different race, like you were saying in your list of... uh, of uh, qualities of the totalitarian personality. And you see yourself as only good and the others as only bad. So you become on the TV, on the alert for anything bad. You become on the alert for something bad like socialism, something that's evil like a godless communism. It's everything that is bad exists outside of you whether it's immigrants trying to get into this country and take away your jobs, whether it's uh, uh, equal opportunity in college, where where, uh, people of a different race are trying to take away the white person's uh, access to college. It's about loss and a fear of loss. And the loss has been catastrophic, and it usually starts in childhood. What happens is that the heart of destructiveness is from catastrophic loss. What Trump has tapped into is the catastrophic loss 
that his base has felt, which is being unheard, unlisten to, ignored, bypassed, and he is able to give them a voice. And he can turn their feeling of catastrophic loss into both good and into something destructive. So they become an angry mob. They become angry and hate the government. And what he's done by doing that conversion is he's taken a normal development, which is having loving, some form of loving parents or loving feelings and being held and cared about into something bad, into something anal, really, into something that's not strong and positive. So what's happening is, is people feel alienated from what was once supposed to be good, like government's supposed to be good. Roosevelt said government was good. We were here to build roads. We were here to help feed the poor. We were here to have social security. We were here to help. Well, government over time became the problem. It sort of started with Reagan. I mean, Trump didn't make it the problem. Trump gave permission for mob mentality to attack and be destructive. But Reagan said government is the problem. And alienation from the good is what's happening. And these people feel justified in their attacks. That's why they can send pictures of themselves. And they're proud of what they did when they went in there. This is a mob mentality. What a mob does, people wouldn't do individually. That's true. And a lot of people have written about the difference. The best book, if you want to read a book and talk about it, is by Eric Fromm, and it's called Escape from Freedom. And it's all about the power of the group and how people feel more powerful when they're with other people who are like-minded. So when you're with other people who've had terrible narcissistic injury, you can form an identity, an identification. We are the good guys. The immigrants are the bad guys. The government are the bad guys. Whoever is not us, the socialists. And we are the good guys. And they have a mob mentality. And what happens is their conscience is not really the same as the conscience of an individual. It gets modified by the large group. So they can really feel justified in doing what they do in a way that people as individuals cannot. Remarkable. Dr. Justin Frank, helps. author of Trump on the Couch, is Twitter handle Justin Frank MD. Always great talking with you, Dr. Frank. Thank you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today is by Catherine Bailey. It's a castle in wartime. One family, their missing sons, and the fight to defeat the Nazis. It's an extraordinary and fascinating book. This is from the prologue. Dateline, Innsbruck, Austria, 16 December 1944. Monica calling Steamboat. This cryptic announcement broadcast to Austria over the Voice of America was received with relief by a handful of people able to decipher it. The coded message signaled that the Allies were still trying to infiltrate agents into Innsbruck to make contact with members of the Austrian resistance. It was 7 o'clock on a winter's morning, the gray old city walled in by snow-covered mountains. A roof of dense cloud hung over the domes and spires, cutting out the sky on the summit of the Nordkette. Towering 7,000 feet above the city, the sheer face of the mountain rose like a wall, blocking the north end of the fine Baroque streets. 
The illusion of being confined in a small space was maintained in the alleys and passageways in the medieval quarter. On a chill, gloomy day such as this, passing the tall, narrow-fronted Gothic houses, the sensation of, was of walking along the bottom of a ravine. Thick wreaths of smoke spiraled beneath the clouds. The day before, American planes had bombed the city, killing 259 people. In Herzog Friedrichstrasse, a protective shroud covered the famous golden roof of the balcony designed for Emperor Maximilian in 1500. Beneath the bombed-out buildings, parties of children, drafted in from the villages along the valley, worked to clear the rubble. They were watched by small groups of SS soldiers who stood on the street corners guarding the defusing crews. Forcibly re recruited from the nearby concentration camp at Reichenau, it was their job to deactivate the bombs that had failed to explode. The Allies were now convinced that Innsbruck, rather than the Reich capital of Berlin, was where the war was likely to culminate. Recent intelligence reports indicated that Hitler was building an Apfelfestung, an Alpine fortress, in the mountains that encircled the city. Blueprints attained by OSS operatives, the OSS is the forerunner of the CIA, point to a chain of underground factories and armories. It was to this remote, impregnable fortress that Hitler and a coterie of his most fanatical supporters intended to retreat when the Wehrmacht was beaten. From here, they would carry on the fight, defended by elite SS troops and sustained by huge stores of supplies that had been carefully stockpiled in bomb-proof caves. With Hitler holding the high ground, Allied military commanders were predicting that the battle to take the fortress could extend the war by up to two years and exact more casualties than all of the previous fighting on the Western Front. In these circumstances, intelligence from Innsbruck, the capital of the Apfelfestung, was suddenly at a premium. Alan Dulles, the OSS station chief in Switzerland, hoped to recruit a network of agents from within the city. Their job would be to supply hard military intelligence and assist the passage of U.S. and British forces when they reached the western border of Austria. But as Dulles recognized, Innsbruck was not fertile ground. At autumn, the Gestapo had arrested all known anti-Nazis. Moving from house to house, the mopping up operations signaled their determination to suppress all resistance operations in an area they looked upon as their last bastion. Soon after midday on 16 December, the U.S. Air Force returned to bomb the city for the fourth time that month. A sharp left rally was executed immediately. After bombs away and a course flown around Innsbruck, the pilot reported, due to undercast, no visual observation of results were possible. Some hours later, Frau Muttenschuldner, a resident of 47 years, sat down to write in her diary. It is a black day for Innsbruck, she began. The old city center has been hit as well as the graveyard. Everyone feared there would be another raid, and sure enough, the enemy bombers came and wreaked their evil. There was no gas or water in the city, and the cemetery was now closed for burials. In the flat, dingy light, the only color was from the fires that had yet to be put out. Fräulein Kummer's photo studio is on fire, Frau Muttenschuller reported. Vargar's paper warehouse, the stained glass factory at Müllerstrasse, Café Paul in Maximilianstrasse, and Hollensteiner's Gasthaus are all burning. Showers of sparks and burning paper are falling from the warehouse. One would marvel at the eerie beauty of it if it were not such a sad occasion. 
The raid marked a change of tactic. In addition to dropping 200 tons of bombs, the U.S. planes had dropped thousands of propaganda leaflets. In the coming weeks, they would drop thousands more. These, and the messages broadcast on the BBC's Austrian service, urged the city's inhabitants to rise up and prevent Hitler from making a last stand in the Tyrol. Tyrolians, we know that you will not permit it. You will see to it that none of the Nazi leaders can hide. We know that already Tyrolians are fighting the Nazis everywhere. Even if the Nazis still feel secure in your country, we know better. You are on our side. But the vast majority of Tyrolians were not on the Allies' side. The Book of Castle in wartime. Marion in South Beach, Oregon. Hey, Marion, what's up? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I, I wanted to talk to you about accountability because I know there's many in Congress and in the general public right now that are saying, why impeach President Trump since he's leaving office anyways? And so I was hoping to remind your viewers that in Germany, a decade before Hitler actually rose to be a chancellor, he was the leader of the Nationalsozialistische Deutsche Arbeitpartei, and he attempted a failed coup and the German public at the time did the same thing as what I'm hearing now out of others in Congress and the public saying well you know it failed let's move on let's move Germany past that right. and he went to jail but, in 2012 uh, but so we really can't move on now does that make Fox News go away no, there will always be people that are radicalized who are listening to some of the things that are being spouted. And I thought maybe a simple fix, and I'll take your answer off the air, a simple fix for that is to provide legislation that will mandate if you want to call yourself a news station, you have to provide 95% accuracy in your reporting. And maybe that would hopefully alleviate something that we are dealing with right now. So. Uh, I think I you're onto something, Marion. There's a variation of that in British law, and that's why there's no Fox News in Great Britain. There's a variation of that in Canadian law, which is why when they tried something like Fox News in Canada, it ultimately did not succeed, in addition to the fact that it didn't catch much of an audience. There are some pitfalls and some potential dangers, particularly when the federal government starts regulating news. But we got to do something. we got to do something. Marion, thank you very much for that call. And thank you all for being here. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, and that includes you. So get out there, get active, tag your it, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. We will be carrying the inauguration. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.